Do you remember that upperclassman that I told you about that told freshman Maddie that she was going to bed? That was Tori's Bindim. Tori serves in the Lehigh Valley area. She loves adventuring, time with friends, and coming up with fun and creative ideas. I've been a great witness to this over the years. And Tori, she enjoys spoken word and poetry and writing songs, too. She's even written a few herself, so you should ask her about it at some point. Tonight, or this morning, Tori is going to introduce us to a woman who also expresses herself through poetry and song. And this woman, in fact, is mentioned in the lineage of Jesus, like all our ladies. But this is the woman, this woman is none other than Jesus' mother, Mary. So let's welcome Tori to the stage as she introduces us to Mary. Good morning, ladies. I am that upperclassman. I really was just a year older than Maddie, and I appreciate that she called me wise. Really, I just love my sleep and didn't want to have a late-night conversation. So I hope you guys got some sleep. We have one more message this morning, and I encourage you guys to lean in. You guys are probably full of really good teaching with those workshops. We've been seeing glimpses of God's grace throughout this entire weekend. We've been walking through the genealogy of Jesus. You know, we started by looking at the genealogy of Jesus. How many conferences can say that they they went through genealogy? That's pretty awesome. Then we learned about Tamar and Rahab. Maybe you went to the workshop yesterday about Bathsheba. And uh, hopefully you were walking through with us in the morning devotionals with Ruth. So we've pretty much covered all of the women in the genealogy of Jesus. We just have one more woman to look at. And that is the mother of Jesus, Mary. And I am, I'm really excited to look at her with you guys this morning. I'm going to be honest. Before I uh, was told I was going to be speaking on Mary, Mary in the Bible was kind of a flat, boring character to me. But as I've been studying this passage and preparing for my time with you guys today, Mary has come alive. And what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about rejoicing in God and how belief in God's word leads to rejoicing and uh, that's, that's the, the essence of what we're going to talk about today. We're not only going to look at a glimpse of God's, <clears throat> God's grace, we're going to look at how to respond to God's grace by rejoicing. And, and that's uh, what you're going to see on your outline here, um, pages 14 and 15, that we're going to we'll look at a life changed by God's word and a deep-seating rejoicing in God's work. So uh, for the first point, I'm going to read mostly for context. We're going to skip a stone over what, uh, what, what happens to Mary, and we're going to spend most of our time looking at Mary's song, which if you look in your packets is kind of the, the right-hand side of the scripture that's indented and stuff. That's, that's a song. Uh, so we're gonna, I'm going to start by just jumping right in, and we're going to read uh, Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin was named Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this may be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, a baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment, uh, be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You might be familiar with this story. We often look at this story around Christmas time. And I'm just going to quickly summarize it for you. There's this woman, Mary. She's a young virgin who lives in this out-of-the-way town of Nazareth. And she's engaged to be married to Joseph, a Jewish man named Joseph. She's what I would consider having a happy, predictable life set out before her. She's a Jewish girl. She's about to get married. And all of a sudden, God sends an angel, and it bursts into her life and gives her this world-shattering news that she is going to be pregnant with a baby that is not her fiancé's baby. It's actually the son of God. This is, this is incredible. Um, it's actually, I would consider this, it was probably to Mary seemed pretty inconvenient and unexpected. So let's think about this. It's inconvenient, right? Inconvenient things are hard because they come with a cost. So what Angel Gabriel just said to Mary comes with a pretty high cost. Well, look really quickly. Let's just look at verse 30, what angel Gabriel said to her again, okay? It says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and there will be no end. It's happening. God is coming. We've been talking about this Jesus guy, and he's here. He's in Mary's womb. But this is pretty inconvenient. Her predictable Jewish life just got crazy. She has to explain to her fiancé about this baby that's not from another man, but is from God. 
But it's not only inconvenient, it's, it's also pretty unexpected. And unexpected things are hard because we don't really fully understand. We can't fully wrap our mind around unexpected things. The Jewish people would also think this is unexpected. They've been waiting, as we've been learning all weekend, for generations and generations for God to send a savior. And here he is. And this is unexpected that it's Mary for three reasons. One, where it's happening. If you noticed in verse 26, the angel Gabriel came to Mary in the town of Galilee. If you're familiar with the Bible, the center of Jewish life is in Jerusalem, where the temple is. That's where God dwells with his people. This is in Galilee, an out-of-the-way, no-name town. And God came to Galilee. That is pretty unexpected. But it's not just unexpected for that. It's also unexpected because of who it is. Mary isn't some powerful religious leader. You'd think that the Son of God would come to a powerful religious leader if he wanted people to listen, right? No. God comes to this random person in a random town, a woman. Third reason why this is unexpected. It's how it's happening. Mary isn't getting pregnant the normal way, okay? She's getting pregnant through the Holy Spirit, as you can see in verse 35. Wrap your mind around that. That is pretty unexpected. I imagine Mary can't fully understand what is happening. It's inconvenient and unexpected. But how does Mary respond to what the angel Gabriel says to her? Look with me again at verse 38. She says to, angel, to Gabriel, Behold, I am, your, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Look again at verse 45. She goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. And Elizabeth kind of assesses the situation. And this is her interpretation of what went down with Mary and Gabriel. She says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. How does Mary respond? It's clear she believes, but not just in God. She's believing something specific. Do you see the two repeated words in those two verses? She believes in God's word. God's word. Mary believes despite that it's inconvenient and unexpected circumstances. Not because she's just optimistically believing in God, but because she has a deep grounded belief that this God that she believes in keeps his word. To give you an example, we do this too. So I remember when I was learning to ride a bike as a child, I was a nervous child and I was a little nervous about riding a bike. I, you know, you could get some scrapes. I wasn't quite sure how a bike that was sitting on the ground without training wheels would suddenly be able to stand up with a whole human on it. And um, I remember looking at my dad and he could probably just see the fear on my face and, was, and he just looked at me and said, Tori, it's gonna be okay. Let's get on the bike and try. And could I wrap my brain around how that bike was gonna stay up? No. Could I be sure I wasn't gonna get injured? No, but I believed and trusted my dad's word. In a similar way, Mary is believing and trusting God's word, even though it's inconvenient and even though it's unexpected. Sisters, believe 
God's word. It isn't just about what you do. If you want to believe in God's word, it's not actions. It's about trusting the words of God. But not only do we know that uh, Mary's believing because she says it, we also see because she, how she responds to it. We know she believes because how she responds to it. And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. This is the song. She has a reaction of joy. And, and I think this is kind of the heart of our time together, is that what we believe in impacts our joy. Maybe you believe that if you had more money or a higher IQ, better grades, a better, mar- uh, better boyfriend, or more friends, a more successful children. You guys don't have children. But one day, um, maybe you believe if you lived in a warmer climate or uh, whatever it is, fill in the blank. If only I had blank, I would be happy. This is that blank is what you believe will bring you joy. And how do you know that you're really believing in these things? Well, let's think about that. Fill in the blank, whatever you put there. What happens when you don't get it? Or what happens if you do get it? Is it really gonna satisfy? Will that boyfriend that you've always wanted, that grade, that internship, this is something else is gonna come that needs to fill in that blank. You know that Mary would fill in that blank with God because in this song we're about to dig into, she references God 19 times and she references herself only four. If I was Mary and I just got inconvenient and unexpected news, I probably would write a song of, woe is me, my life is really hard and how am I gonna get through this, God, why? But Mary sings a song about the goodness of her God. Your joy is impacted by what you believe in. Sisters, I'm going to ask you this again and again. What fuels your joy? And I'm not talking about happiness or what makes you laugh. I'm talking about what gets you up in the morning when you're in a hard season and you think, I can make it through this day because this thing is coming. Is it your next vacation? Next time you get to hang out with your family or your friends. These answers to these questions are important because it shows us what we truly believe in and what we find joy in. And it's clear that Mary believes in God's word because she burst into a whole song about it. So let's jump in to our second point. She has a, her belief in God's word gives her a deep-seated rejoicing in God's work. So let's jump into this. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and his holy name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown great strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts, and he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. 
So we've been saying this is a song. It's a little different than the narratives we've been going through. It's more poetic. That's why we call it a song. And uh, we know this is a song of praise because look how she starts it in verse 46 and 47. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She is rejoicing. And this is a song of praise. And if you notice in 48, there's a shift. She says the word for. And for, if, you've, if you're familiar with studying the Bible, is a reason statement. It's almost like a because. My soul rejoices in God because. And the rest of the song, sisters, I want you to see it with me. We're just going to walk through this together. Are the reasons why she rejoices in God, her Savior. And there's two sections. This, this song breaks up into two sections for why, and that's also on your outline here. The first section is she rejoices in God's work in her life personally, and the second section is in uh, rejoicing in God's work for all of God's people. Look with me at verse 47 through 49. You can see that this is her personal rejoicing because of the repeated words of my Savior called me blessed, done great things for me. But then... There's a transition in verse 50. The pronouns shift from me's and my's to those and theirs. Do you see that? Those who fear him, thoughts of their hearts, their thrones. So let's start with Mary's personal rejoicing and what God has done for her. Imagine being Mary, okay? You're pregnant. You're unmarried. Most likely she's poor and unknown to the world. It would be reasonable for her to wonder, does anybody see me? Does anyone even notice me? But she has this peace. She rejoices and knows that God sees her. God has looked upon her humble estate. Do you see in verse 47 how she calls God her savior? She knows that she's a woman in need because People in need need to be saved. They need a savior. She needs to be saved from her sin and her suffering. And she rejoices because that promised savior that we've been learning about all weekend, he's coming. And it goes on. Look at verse 48. It says, she also rejoices personally because God has looked upon her humble estate. Humble estate in this context does not mean like humble a humble frame or humble character. Uh, It means more like a humble circumstances, poor circumstances. But this mighty God has looked upon her humble estate. The God of the universe has looked upon her humble estate. This God sees her. This God saves her. And this God's going to use her for great things. Do you see this little glimpse of God's grace in Mary's life? It's clearly evident that she understands what's about to happen. I've asked you this again, guys. Where is your greatest joy typically found? What does this expose about what you believe? Mary's not just rejoicing personally about what God has done for her. She's rejoicing in what God has done for his people. As I mentioned before, there's a shift here to the theirs and the, uh, them from me's and my's. And this section is rich with reasons why Mary is rejoicing for God's people. And I've broken it down into three 
overarching reasons that are your fill-ins and your outline. I'm going to give them all to you right now. She rejoices that God shows mercy. That God shows mercy. She also rejoices that God brings justice. God brings justice. And she rejoices that God remembers. He shows mercy, he brings justice, and he remembers. Let's look at mercy. She rejoices because God shows mercy. Let's look at verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. What is mercy? It's one of those churchy words we use. And I did a very official Google search. And this is the definition that came up. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who deserves to be punished or harmed. I'll say it again. Compassion, mercy is compassion or forgiveness that is shown towards somebody who actually deserves punishment or harm. Look with me again at verse 50. Who is this mercy for? Those who fear him. Again, fear. It's a tricky word. We say it in the church. And uh, there's different kinds of fear that is used in the Bible. Even in this text that we're reading together, in verse 30, the angel Gabriel says, do not be afraid, Mary. Uh, but in this context, in her song, this isn't the dread, terror kind of fear. This is a loving, reverence kind of fear. However, in both kinds of fear, it's an overwhelming sense that we are powerless. And the fear of God is an overwhelming sense that we are powerless and God has all the power and control. God is something we should fear because God has all the control and power and we don't. I fear God because he has all of this power, all of the control, he created all of the world and he could crush me and kill me without a second thought. This is actually a right view of God, that he should be feared. But look again at verse 50. What does he do? How does he interact with those who fear him? He gives them mercy. We should fear God because we are at his mercy. He could destroy us. He could destroy us, but he doesn't. And we'll get into that more. Sisters, we can believe God's word. Those who fear him find mercy. And that mercy is coming, and he's in Mary's womb. And this is good news. This is why Mary's rejoicing. And this, is just, this song, if you've noticed, is not just a nice, sweet little song. This is like a cry of relief. Like a prisoner who was set for death row and was just released. Because mercy for those who fear him. I want you to see one more thing in verse 50. This is a mercy that extends from generation to generation. Mary isn't just rejoicing for herself here. She's rejoicing for all of God's people. And this isn't just for God's people in her time. This is forever, for all time. That means this binds us. 
to Mary. It's a, mer- it's a mercy that stretches to you and to me and extends for generations. Not only do those who fear him find mercy, but they also join the family tree of mercy. The same mercy that Mary sang about 2,000 some years ago is the same mercy that extends to us today. We are part of an ancient family of faith. A family of faith that fears the Lord and receives God's mercy. Some of you in this room might feel very alone in your faith. Maybe you feel like an outsider in your family or in your major or even in your Christian fellowship. But God is for you. He doesn't just save you, but he brings you into a community that stretches across generations. Mary is your sister. Abraham is your brother. And through the mercy of Christ, you become part of this family tree, this genealogy that we've been learning about. Press into that community who fears God and finds his mercy. This is why Mary's rejoicing, because those who fear him find mercy and they get to join the family tree of mercy. Let's move on to the next reason. Mary's rejoicing because God brings justice. Let's read 51 through 53 again. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Do you see the image Mary's painting here? The picture? It's a picture, it's an image of God rolling up his sleeves, showing the strength of his arms and stirring things up. The proud and the mighty and the rich will be scattered and brought down and sent away empty. And with the strength of his arm, the humble estate, the humble estate and the hungry will be exalted and filled with good things. It's a reversal. Only someone strong could do that grand of a reversal. And why is God showing off his strength? God is showing us his strength to show us that he is going to bring justice. The proud and the strong won't win at the end of the day. God will. He is stronger. He will humble the proud and exalt the humble. For the Jews of Mary's time, this is incredibly hopeful. For a long time, the Jews have lived as a suppressed minority under the rule of the Roman Empire. They've been longing for the day when justice would reign, when the proud and the powerful have to face an even more powerful God for the wrongs that they have done. And Mary's rejoicing because she knows that that baby in her womb is bringing that justice. The proud and the mighty and the rich might seem like the strongest and the most powerful on earth, but God is stronger. With the strength of his arm, God is going to bring justice to this world where corrupt rulers will be held accountable, where abusers will face judgment, where evil will be dealt with in full, totally destroyed. 
God will display his strength by taking the strongest the world has to offer and humbling them. Mary's rejoicing because <laughs> this is God's word happening. He will in his strength bring justice. Like Mary and the Jews of her time, we also live in a world full of corruption. And we also have a deep longing for justice and wonder, is God ever gonna make things right? There will be a day when God's justice will be poured out and punishment for all the wrongdoing will be paid for. This impacts us in two ways. One, for those of us who know and trust Jesus, this should give us hope. God is good. He doesn't let injustice go unpaid for. So take heart, sisters, if you're facing injustices. No, there will be a day when these wrongs will be proven as wrong and punishment is coming. God sees it. He's bringing justice. But this also impacts us in a second way. This should also make us fear. Look at that little verse in 51. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God isn't just bringing justice for those of outwardly prideful sin, but even the proud thoughts of our hearts. This should make us fear. The thoughts in our hearts that say, I already know this, I read this passage every Christmas. Or the thoughts in our hearts that say, what is she wearing? <laughs> or the thoughts that say, I wish that person would die. Or the thoughts that say, I know better than God. By the strength of God's arm, he will humble you. We too will have to face the consequences and the punishments for our crimes and sins against God. Just to make us fear. By now you might be asking, but this is a song of rejoicing. God's justice is good when it rains on others, but it's terrifying when it comes to ourselves. And didn't I just say God gives mercy to those who fear him? Well, this leads us to our third reason why Mary is rejoicing. She's rejoicing because God's remembrance. And if you're tired and have been zoned out this whole time, this is when you need to zone back in. <laughs> okay? Mary's rejoicing because of God's remembrance. Let's read verse 54 through 55 again. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, God has helped his servant Israel. We've been using the word Israel really throughout this whole weekend, and really that's just a way of saying God's people. God has helped his people in remembrance of his mercy. This is a covenant word, which is a promise God made, and, and the word remembrance means he's looking back at something that he's already done. So God is helping them by doing something he already said would, he would do. 
And as you read and study the Bible, you'll start to notice that there's these two promises God make, makes that weave throughout the pages of the whole Bible. The promise that one, on one hand, God is gonna give mercy to those who fear him. And also through the Bible, God is gonna give wrath to those who wrong him. Throughout the whole Bible, these two promises, they seemingly are at odds, but they're there. And as you go through the Bible, what's really fuzzy becomes a little clearer a little clearer, a little clearer, but he still makes, he makes this promise to Abraham and to David, both of them, the wrath and the mercy, side by side. And how are these gonna work together? It's not really clear. And even to Mary, I don't think she totally gets it, but we get it, because we know the whole story. These two things these two promises, God's mercy and God's wrath, can go, both go together. And God's promises can be fulfilled because they come together in Jesus Christ, sisters. On the cross, there was no mercy given to Jesus. The full strength of God's justice was poured out on him. And he was innocent. He did not deserve punishment or wrath. No mercy was given. And that enacted a cosmic swap where you and I, who deserve the wrath, are given that mercy. And the justice we deserve for our sins and our crimes against God is poured out on Christ. Hence, allowing both God's justice, the payment for sin, and God's mercy the forgiveness of sin, to come together. Do you see that? Jesus makes both of them hold together. He has helped his people in the remembrance of his mercy. And that mercy is Jesus Christ. If you aren't yet a Christian or you're unsure what you think about the Bible or where you stand, just generally confused, listen up. The only way to be saved from the justice and wrath to come is God's mercy. And unless you turn and believe in him, that mercy is not coming to you. I'm, we're, you're, God's mercy is being extended to you right now. Humble yourself. Fear God. You don't have to do anything but trust God's word that he will give you mercy. He will satisfy the justice on Jesus because the only thing that can protect you from the wrath to come is Jesus Christ alone. There's one more thing I want you to understand from these verses in the remembrance of God's mercy. These are words that God spoke long ago, even before Mary's time. They were words of promise, of mercy to his people. This means that the reason for extending his mercy to us has nothing to do with us because he promised he was gonna do it long ago. He's keeping his word. 
This is not people earning mercy, but God fulfilling what he said would happen. And that baby in Mary's womb is proof of it. And all of her rejoicing is landing in this, that God remembers his promises, is remembering his mercy. And she sings because of it, because she did nothing to earn it, and she can do nothing to lose it. Because it was never dependent on her in the first place. It was dependent on God keeping his word and and the completion of his work. Sisters, believe God's word. He's faithful to keep it. He's faithful to bring, extend mercy and, and bring justice because of Jesus. And these are unshakable. These are the most important things to root your joy in. Are you, are you seeing the connection of how Mary rooted her, her joy in, in God's word that couldn't be shaken and that no matter what the circumstances were, she knew the most important things were locked and secure. That when she was going through that hard season and she woke up in the morning, she knew that it was gonna be okay because God's wrath was poured on on Christ and she gets God's mercy. That is what gets her up in the morning. That is what gives her joy. Sisters, are we as Christians known for our joy? We should be, because we have this news, this great joyful news to dig our roots into. In this time, there's so much to grumble and complain about, but let's be known for being a joyful people because we have the best thing to rejoice in. I think this is actually one of the best ways to be a witness to Jesus in our age, is that we can have a deep rejoicing, not just a fake smile when hard things hit. We don't have to pretend there's not hard things, but we have rejoicing because of Jesus. So, as I'm sending you off today, in a few short minutes slash hours, life will resume as normal the struggles and the stresses that you left on Friday, they'll be waiting for you when you return. Sorry. But, but sisters, believe God's word to you today. His mercy and his justice are secured. You can face those things that you're returning to because the most important things are, are secure. And I wanna be clear, I'm not just talking about slapping on a fake smile. I'm talking about a song of deep joy because God promised mercy and justice is coming. Mary isn't putting on a fake smile. Her life's about to get more complicated. It's about, her circumstances are about to get pretty tricky. She's pregnant with not her fiance's baby. She has to explain to everybody what happened. It's gonna get, she has to watch her son die on the cross. She is singing this song of joy. She's rejoicing in a God who sees her. 
and extends mercy to not just her, but to all of us. You can face those trials you left behind when you came here, knowing that the most important things are locked and secure in a God who keeps his promises. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that in your goodness, you promised uh, Jesus Christ to us that you satisfy your wrath and justice on the cross and that we can get God's, we can get your mercy. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room that this is just a renewed joy that sends us off into the, the, the trials and suffering I'm sure exists that they're returning to, all of us. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you, that they turn and believe your word. They believe in your mercy, in your justice, in your grace. I praise you for all the things that we've learned this weekend and that we apply it to our lives and that we rejoice in you. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.